You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. We have a book club wrap up episode today. Wrap it up. <laughs> These are always really fun because we all get to read a book together and then we get to talk about it. And we don't always agree on our um, opinions about how we feel about the book. Which makes it kind of fun. And yeah, okay. that just makes life more spicy if you have a have a range of opinions. I like it a spice. <laughs> yeah, this would not be a podcast episode if we all felt the same way. So mm-hmm. there you go. So the book that we read, The Spirituality of the Cross by Jean Edward Veith Jr. Well, Rachel, you take it away. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Are you leaving? First, I have to pull my book back off the shelf because I just put all my books away. And it looks so pretty up there. It had to join its its brothers and sisters. Um, <laughs> the Spirituality of the Cross, Jean Edward Veith. This book was our uh, Reformation read. This is a modern Lutheran classic. It really is. It was published originally in... 1999. 1999. Thank you, Sarah. That small print, now that I'm over in my 40s, a little bit more, it's a little harder to find. <laughs> First published in 1999, it just in 2021, they released the third edition of The Spirituality of the Cross. This is from Concordia Publishing House. The subtitle of the book is The Way of the First Evangelicals. So in this book, Dr. Veith basically tells his own story in which he sort of came out of this generic evangelical background, did a lot of seeking in his younger years, and finally found what he was looking for in Lutheranism. So he tells his story, but he also provides a primer on Lutheran theology and why it's so, well, awesome. Um, (laughs) And how it sort of answered his questions at every stage along the way. So for some people reading this, you know, who have had a lot of thoroughgoing catechesis, it's a helpful refresher on Questions like the Lutheran doctrine of vocation to kingdoms theology, our theology of worship, Christology, those all the all those sorts of the sacraments, all those sorts of topics come up here, and they're just really nicely explained in a in an accessible but yet intelligent way. Mm-hmm. So if you if you are thoroughly catechized, the book probably doesn't have too many surprises for you, but it's just <laughs> full of wonderful ah. Uh, he said that so nicely. And yes, that is how I feel. A lot of people would probably find parts of the book that way and other parts of like, huh, I never knew that. That's awesome. And then for some people, I know a, a lot of people coming into Lutheranism, this book really helps them go deeper fast mm. into what is distinctive about Lutheran theology, what makes it different from all the other branches of Christianity that you're going to see out there. So it was a good read. This was my first time ever reading it. I've known about this book for ages. My husband has had a copy on his shelf since seminary, which was a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But I never, ever got around to actually reading it until this time. So I'm really grateful to all of my Lutheran lady sisters for walking with me through this book and basically writing a wrong in my life because it was wrong that I had not read this book before now. And now I have. So um, it's it's good. (laughs) Problem solved. Mm. So what did you all think? It was also my first time reading it. And my copy also came from my husband. (laughs) So he had the first edition. And we know this because he has his own book stamp and it has his book stamp in the front. So I bought the third edition. (laughs) And that, girls, is why you want to marry a Lutheran man because a lot of them have their own book stamps. (laughs) Does Matt have a book stamp? I don't know, but I'm going to... Christmas idea! You know what? We're talking about Christmas gift ideas now. (laughs) So there you go. Book stamps for all your He might be more of like a wax kind of do yes. though, unfortunately. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Um, <laughs> side, side note here. My husband had the first edition, but I wanted to read the third edition. And the audiobook is the third edition. Mm-hmm. And I'm very thankful that this was an audiobook yep. because I think this book club snuck up on a lot of us. And so a week before we're all like, oh, let's read a book. So, <laughs> so I listened to the audiobook and I actually am I'm very thankful that this was in an audiobook. I mm-hmm. think it was a lot more interesting to listen to it rather than mm-hmm. to read it. I think I may have gotten bored with it had I read it well, like by the book first. I listened to the audiobook as well. And it. I think if you're reading it like 
a physical book, like you're missing out on the conversational tone that he yes. really takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I really appreciated uh, listening to the audiobook. And then when my book, when, when my, my ordered copy came, finally came from CPH, I went back and read through some of the chapters that I knew we would probably talk about to get a little bit better understanding. Cause I think I did also miss some things the first time through, but I really liked it. I appreciated the, like you were saying, Rachel, the, the review, but a, a review from, not like a let's read straight through Luther's small catechism and all the questions and study word by word. It was more of a, a topical overview and from a, a perspective that I hadn't really considered a lot of these things and a perspective now that I, you know, catechism class was what, like like 15 years ago? 15 years ago? 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. It was still going. 15 years ago. Shh. <laughs> Quiet. No, it was more than that. (laughs) More than that. (laughs) Um, Going. I don't know how old I am. Going through, (laughs) going through these concepts again from a different point of view was was really cool, especially especially the two kingdoms and the vocation. Because now I am in a very different. I have a lot of different vocations now than I did when I was an eighth grader. And I think you don't say right. right. So it was nice to understand that from a very different perspective. And the two kingdom stuff, especially talking about the morality and like how we interact with people, dealing with that on social media now Mm -hmm. is like a very real thing in my life. The the things he was talking about, I'm like, oh, that's actually happened to me. So, (laughs) so yes, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I could listen to him listen or read him talking about vocation, like forever. Yep. I feel like that out of all of the sections of the book is like spot on the, the best section is is just him talking about vocation and you know listening to him sort of dissect things and really get down into the nitty-gritty details of what it means to hold various titles and mm-hmm. and roles. This I think was my I want to say that as a theology minor at Concordia Chicago feel like this was required reading. I didn't know you were a theology minor. I was, but That's I cool. squandered much of my undergraduate education. So <laughs> it's, entirely, it's entirely possible that while it was required reading, I didn't actually read it. <laughs> oh, Brie. But I, I don't want to say I hated it. It was, it was a lovely book and it reinforced, especially, you know, because I've had that additional quote i'm doing air quotes right now like theological education to a certain degree <laughs> the seminary wife theological right. education it's, yeah right mm-hmm. it's, it's because you're you're working from home mm-hmm. it's solidified it basically kind of like what rachel said is it really solidified what i already believe teach and confess as a lutheran vigorously vigorously <laughs> known so yeah i i it's not a it's not necessarily a book I would have read for pleasure or like a book club, but you can clearly appreciate why it is can I say it a seminal seminal Lutheran work? Can it's I some modern Lutheran classic? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that, that I can even, I, maybe I can't say that on the air. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, you can you can totally see why this book is sort of Are you okay? Yes. Okay. I'm okay. All right. <laughs> Looking at me weird. Seminal is not a dirty word, Brie. It's a legit academic. A legit academic descriptor. Okay. <laughs> the, and I think you even used it correctly. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Not You're absolutely right. Numbers. It is a seminal yes. It's an essential <laughs> Lutheran read. It is. And, and it, I, I think especially it will be for years to come and it it is simple it's conversational it is very i think very accessible for people who are new to lutheranism particularly adults who are new to lutheranism i would totally recommend this this book if they wanted to learn more and get maybe kind of a thumbnail sketch of of what lutheranism is and what our core beliefs are would totally recommend this book but i would not it's not my idea of Having a fun time is sitting. It's down. not the Westing game. No, no it's not Ellen fun. Raskin's award-winning The Westing Game, <laughs> which was a previous book which club. Was a delicious if you would like to go back, previous selection. 
<laughs> was that a year ago? I feel like that was a year ago. Pretty close to. Time flies when you're reading good books. It was. It was our first one for this year. I enjoyed the book. I had not read it before either. I do not have a minor in theology. (laughs) You're pretty good Um, at that stuff. (laughs) And so it was interesting, though, because a lot of the topics, maybe they were covered. I mean, some of them were covered in confirmation, certainly. But I don't remember going into great depth on most of these in confirmation. In confirmation, I feel like we primarily focused on the small catechism Mm -hmm. and the addition of the small catechism at that time, I don't believe had a great deal of digging into concepts of vocation and two kingdoms certainly did get into, it didn't use the term Christology, but it did certainly get into the nature of Christ, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was interesting to hear a more in-depth discussion on those topics and so i i did enjoy and appreciate it for that purpose so that we can have all all the different varieties i read on a kindle hey i read as i always do in a hard copy that was sent to me courtesy of cph i had the second edition and i wrote to them and i said we're covering this in book club any chance i could see the third and they sent me a third edition and it's it's beautiful you guys it is beautiful The, the third edition sarah was comparing the cover designs (laughs) <laughs> this one blows the other two cover designs out of the water, in my opinion. It's it's yep. a lovely book. Yeah, so. very 2021 graphic design versus 1999 graphic design. So. Yep. Yeah. Graphic design life. Hashtag. And while the world has not necessarily gotten better in those years, graphic design has come a long way. And yes. so kudos, kudos to CPH for giving this book the cover it has always deserved. Joker-Man. And many thanks to them no, for it. For the copy, <laughs> copy they sent. Um, they are the best. Word art. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, because these episodes tend to run over, let's not waste too much more time before diving a little deeper into our book club questions. We had this past week, let's see, 62 ladies came to our online Lutheran Ladies Book Club discussion of this book. Not everybody chimed in with a comment, but a lot of people did. And it was a really, really great conversation. Great to see people digging in and sharing their own stories and their own perspectives on the topics that we covered. But people that I haven't heard from a lot, except for Sarah, who was frantically scribbling in responses (laughs) this morning before recording, I haven't really heard from you guys. And I know a lot of you that, that you all mostly like to keep your keep your thoughts for the actual podcast episode. So it'll be nice and fresh. But I would love to hear your take if each of you, as we usually do, would pick a question to dive into here as we're recording today. So I wanted to talk about vocation because that, again, like I said, in confirmation, I don't remember getting into this in depth then, but it's come up many times throughout the years and often just with the, well, you know, the Lutheran concept of vocation, therefore, and then they, they go, go from there onto whatever point they're trying to make. And so sort of piece together an understanding of what the, the Lutheran concept or doctrine of vocation is. But the question here is, says, what is, what is so refreshingly distinctive about the way Lutherans understand the concept of callings? And honestly, <laughs> while I, I very much enjoyed this, I also still struggled with the concept, even as I was reading what he wrote about, because he talked about, in the beginning of the chapter, he talked about how he, he now realizes his problem. I have no vocation for that sort of thing. So today I joyfully draw on the vocation of these other people. And I was like, okay, that's true. I also feel very good about utilizing skills of other people that, that have them when I don't. But what about the times that doesn't, I, I still don't see how it's the total connection of vocation works because if it's a calling doesn't necessarily seem to mean you have a skill for it you've been called to it and he go he does go on then mm-hmm. later and so i was like well how does this work 
But he went on and he was like, he talked about how some people are stuck in so-called dead-end jobs. They may have higher ambitions, but for the moment, that job, however humble, is one of their vocations. God may call them to something else in the future, but for now, this is where God wants them to serve. Like, okay, well, that that seems to align. So how do I know that God is not calling me to be the one to fix my sink? I don't, I'm not, I don't have a skill for it, but here's my sink right here in front of me. <laughs> and so then there's one other, one other quote that stood out to me as I, as I read the chapter and it was having a vocation does not necessarily require being good at it. Still, people trying to find their vocations would do better to build on their own specific gifts. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I, I feel like while I very much appreciate <laughs> having dug <laughs> further into the concept of vocation and maybe have more, more vocabulary to talk about it, I'm still not totally clear on what we mean by calling, because sometimes it's clear you have a calling, But most of the time, I don't think it is clear. Most of the time, I don't think it's clear you have a calling. And so how is that different from you just wanting to do something or not? So I'm not really answering your question at all. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to talk more about the topic of it. I wanted to jump in here and say that no matter what topic he's covering in this book, I feel like there's this thread weaving throughout that is sort of this general acceptance that we deal in tension and paradox, and yes. that's mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. Yep, Lutherans so, love paradox. So it's it's <laughs> it's complicated. Well, I think what is what is refreshingly distinctive, and what I was hoping people would would explore, and certainly what what Dr. Veith explores in the book, is the the idea that vocation does not equal career. Mm-hmm. That that is the sort of prevailing world, view, secular worldview, is mm-hmm. that if you have a calling, it means that this is the to to paraphrase Frederick Beekner, a wonderful Christian author, but your life's calling is where your great love and the world's great need come together, and the mm-hmm. idea that everybody has this, it's it's like you know you've got your one true love, your soulmate, yeah. only yeah. this is your career that is going to just save the world, make your life full of meaning and wonder, provide creative outlet, and oh, by the way, provide you with money, benefits, and a 401k. Um, hmm. that, yep. that, is, that is what most people mean when they think of their calling or their vocation. Whereas the Lutheran view, pulling back to your catechism, that one section that no catechism class almost ever makes it to, uh, before confirmation day, the table of duties, yep. where Luther goes through the Bible and says, okay, what does a Christian owe each of these people in their lives? And pulls out the scriptures to show what duty do wives owe their husbands, do husbands owe their wives, children to their parents, parishioners to their pastors, employees to their bosses, bosses, and these webs of relationship then mm-hmm. become the framework around the Lutheran concept of vocation. So that dead-end job may not feel like that Frederick Beekner kind of calling. You know, my great love and the world's great need, neither is, there's like nothing is happening in those zones here. <laughs> but if you're getting that paycheck that is allowing you to pay the rent that puts a roof over your kids' heads, mm-hmm. that is your calling. You know, right. and if within that job you have the opportunity to show respect to your superiors, to show love and kindness and Christian faithfulness to your co-workers, to do the job to the best of your ability. And as Luther said, if you're going to make shoes, make them the best shoes you can make, you know, that if you're doing that, then you are also fulfilling those other callings as well. And that can Mm -hmm. be really liberating because I think for every person who has found that wonderful calling where you save the world and get the 401k there are like 50 people who are floundering going this isn't what i thought my calling would feel like this is uh, this is i don't like this but it is still helping to fulfill your loving responsibility to the people that god has put in your life so if you're wondering what my calling is look around Mm -hmm. and say who are the people god has put in my life that is that is the set of callings that I am given to fulfill and love. Um, yeah. And that can be very liberating because 
then you don't have to waste as much angst over, am I doing that one thing, my soulmate career? And you can yeah. just say, where am I today? Yeah. I guess I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I appreciate that focus on the word vocation or how a focus on how to understand or lens through which to understand the word vocation. I feel like in the book, it seemed like he got more onto the actual doing of it, the, yeah. the, the, the job side of it, as opposed to the relationship side. Mm. And so then, sure, pick, pick a job that you're good at. If you can pick a job that pays the bills so that you have time to spend with your family, whatever it might be. But the looking at vocation more as a relationship question as opposed to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel yeah. like that's a helpful perspective that I did not necessarily, and it might be in there. I, it's not fair <laughs> for me to read it further, but that wasn't the takeaway that I had as I went and read through. Yeah. So he, he bounces around a little bit between mm-hmm. these two different idea of vocation as a set of relationships and vocation as this, this job that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He does say this is the purpose of all vocations to love and serve our neighbors. God does not tell us to love humanity in the abstract, but to love our neighbor, the actual tangible human being whom he calls into our mm-hmm. lives. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so to answer your question about do you have a calling to fix your sink, Aaron, I would say that depends. Now, obviously, if you're like me, you do not have the skill requisite, but you do have YouTube and probably a rudimentary toolbox. And so if your sink is busted and there are no plumbers available or you can't afford a plumber or you were planning to use that money to buy your kids shoes or something, then maybe suddenly you have a calling to fix your <laughs> own sink. <laughs> How do you best love your family by fixing the sink? There are many days when I have a calling. Problem worse. <laughs> when I have a calling to plunge a toilet and it is not pretty, but that is what lands in my lap that day. How I can love and serve my neighbors by getting out that plunger and making it happen. So. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the, I'm going to make a count of how many times all of us say appreciate in this podcast. Um, <laughs> ding. The, the relational aspect of vocation, especially, and this is pulling in Katie Sherman's book, Remember the Baron, um, mm-hmm. her talk about vocation for women who don't have children was like mind-blowingly life-changing for me mm-hmm. to understand my vocation as a woman who doesn't have children is to serve those other women who do have children. So d- pulling in those aspects of how we serve our neighbors may not actually be what we what we have with our blinders on, what we think we we mm-hmm. are to do to love and serve our neighbors, but there may be other people. There's more than just, you know, the your your husband and and your employer, yes, but there's probably a lot of other people around you. Well, yeah, think of the good Samaritan story. How the yeah. priest and the Levite, they thought they were serving their neighbors because they were going to get to get to the temple on time and not be unclean when they got there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas because of that sort of single-minded focus on one set of vocation, they completely missed the half-dead guy on the side of the road mm. whom they were called to serve in that moment. And so don't right. don't necessarily rule out things popping in in yeah. your peripheral vision that you need to need to attend to. I love how there's no cut and dry answers for all of this. We're still yeah. wrestling with it. It's kind tension. of fun. <laughs> tension and paradise. Tension and paradise. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> I love it. Okay, uh, who has the next question? Orbita, do you have something? No, I was going to say, while while we're on the topic of paradoxes and tension. (laughs) Beautiful transition. Um, Love the segue. (laughs) I decided that I would speak upon question five, dealing with two kingdoms. Our society likes to think of itself as tolerant. Any privately held religious belief is okay so long as you don't, quote unquote, as long as you, quote unquote, don't push your religion on me. This goes against the grain for many Christians, however, who are tempted either to A, reshape their faith so that it fits with society, B, use whatever power they have to reshape society so it fits with their faith, or C, withdraw from society altogether. And so it goes on to ask, are these our only options? How does the Lutheran doctrine of two kingdoms offer us a different way of thinking about what it means to be in the world, but not of the world? How do we live morally and faithfully as Lutherans in a secular world? 
And man alive, <laughs> if I haven't been asking myself this for the last <laughs> decade plus, I, then I don't know. Because it is one of those tension points for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think... I don't know if it's just we need to take a step back and like refresh what Two Kingdoms theology is. Probably. But I feel like we as Lutherans do not do a very good job, I think, of communicating what Two Kingdoms theology is. I think Veith does an excellent job here, but this is this is Gene Edward Veith. He's a very He's smart kind of brilliant eloquent man. Yeah. Nevertheless, I think that it is a significantly difficult place to be as a Lutheran in secular society and trying and and wanting to understand where, for example, my more liberal progressive friends and family are coming from. However, I don't. I don't know why I thought I had an answer for this off the top of my head. <laughs> well, I don't mean, think any of us does. None of us do. This wrestling with the topic. This, so give this us your was thoughts. this was the one that was inspired by me, and I don't even have an answer for it either. But I think, I mean, that is the reality of living as Lutherans in the secular world: is that there is always going mm-hmm. to be that tension yeah. because uh-huh. we don't. I mean, our citizenship isn't of this world. Mm-hmm. Our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, so the reality of it is. You know, I can I can conduct myself in the secular space to convert people. Okay, and I, I mean we see this, you know, at all level of like aggression. You know, people trying to witness and evangelize and and okay. convert. But at the end of the day, it's not us doing the work. We're I mean we're we're an avenue, but. The Holy Spirit's the one putting in the work and changing hearts. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not on us to convert people. Now, of course, that doesn't take us off the hook for being a witness to what we believe, teach, and confess. Right. So again, there's there is that balance. So like I kind of I kind of had and I'm just I'm gonna be I'm just gonna be transparent right now. I for the longest time have been trying to reconcile, trying to reconcile, haven't gotten there yet, probably won't ever get there. (laughs) Like, how do I love my friend who I've, my childhood friend who is in the, a member of the LGBT community? How do I love that person? And yet at the same time, I don't know. I, I'm at a dead end. I'm at a dead end. I'm in a dead end job. No, I don't know. Like, I, Help me. Well, love from a Christian perspective and from a Lutheran worldview from, I don't even know if this is two kingdoms anymore, but a love from, <laughs> from our, no. this is, this is Bree's LLL therapy session. Oh my session. gosh, my <laughs> But love from, from our perspective and what we believe love to be is not what the secular world is going to right. tell you. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you reconcile that? And how do you actually live that out? I guess, you know, at the end of the day, and this is something that I realized is that I am, I'm never going to be able to reconcile it. And it's always going to be a source of discomfort for me. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't abandon the biblical foundations and doctrine of what, of what, I think I've said, believe, teach, and confess. This is the third time (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Like I would, (laughs) we need bingo cards for this. I would rather deal in the discomfort, love my neighbor, and tr- just trust in the grace of God that he's going to work in the life of this, right. of this yeah. neighbor. And you and, don't stop praying for that person right, either. Exactly. Because the Holy Spirit, I mean, we believe that the Holy Spirit does what he does. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I'm very delicate right now. Have, <laughs> no, I, I have, I have similar, <laughs> similar struggles. And like, how do you navigate that? Because you have this you you do love the person and so you want to preserve that relationship and what does that mean then and so where do you draw the right. line mm-hmm. right and so something i actually just saw recently and it really struck me i think it was actually a comment on facebook that whoo un- unexpected wow uh, gem <laughs> wow 
Uh, don't don't usually go there expecting them, um, <laughs> except in the book club, of course. Of course. Uh, <laughs> so a pastor had commented that, well, yes, definitely pray for that person. But as you pointed out, the Holy Spirit, he, he chooses to work through specific means. He works mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. the word where right. the faith comes by hearing. Right, and so right. if we don't speak the word where are we giving that opportunity? And so so that then yes. is, and I don't have the answer for mm-hmm. how you decide when and where, but to rule it out because you're afraid you might end the relationship, yes. yeah. you yeah. also then rule out the chance for the Holy Spirit to work and right. he promises to work right. in the word. And so that's then where it's, I and don't know, you, you pray a, and put yes. your trust in God that he's going to work through the word. And, and that's, and, watch for those chances that's another key component (laughs) that i conveniently forgot to to describe is that you know i'm not going to like censor myself from sharing what i believe right you know at the risk of offending somebody who i love dearly and again just hang on to the grace of god and and the trust that he will do what he does and yeah we live in two kingdoms and it's tense and it's not fun sometimes. And that's just something you have to accept that you are a Christian living in a secular world, living in a world that doesn't, I mean, to some degree values Christian morals and ethics, but maybe not even from <laughs> when it's convenient. Of, sure. Right. Yeah. I, like I saw my, I, I'm seeing a new therapist and he says, I'm agnostic, but there's a lot we can learn about Christian morals and ethics. And I think there's, there is space for them in our society. I'm like, like you're my guy, like you're almost there. Like you're <laughs> so, so close. I'm agnostic, but it's, it's right there. It's right there. It's right there. But like, so like, that's, that's what I mean is that like, we have, we're here and we have all of these forces sort of working against us. And I think what it comes down to is we need to just hold on, do what do what we're we're told to do in the Bible and just let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. Wow. That how many minutes did that take for me yeah. to reach that conclusion? <laughs> no, no, no. That's ex- I think that's exactly the answer. You know, this two kingdoms and to break it down a little bit, we've got the kingdom of the left, which is the what we would call the secular world, and yes. the kingdom of the right, which we would call the sacred world. And we operate in both of these things at once. And the rules are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Depending on, I mean, speaking as a as a woman, I would never be comfortable being a pastor in the church in the kingdom of the right. I have totally been a manager in the kingdom of the left. And I have no, I, I feel, I know we got a couple of boss ladies sitting across <laughs> from me on the microphone. And that is your calling to do that work. And and so things operate differently in those in those two kingdoms. But our call is to be Christian through and through. Mm-hmm. Yep. In both kingdoms. I, in my response to this question online, I quoted Jesus' words to Peter at the end of John. And I love this moment where Jesus is reinstating Peter and mm-hmm. uh, he asked, do you love me? Three times he asked, Peter, do, do you love me? And, and Peter says, you know that I love you. <laughs> Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, you know, tend, tend my sheep. And, you know, gives Peter his place back in the kingdom after he denied Christ. And then Peter looks over and sees the disciple Jesus loved, aka John, the author of the book, in totally photobombing his own his own story. <laughs> and Peter says, Okay, I'm supposed to follow you. What about that guy? And Jesus says, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Mm. You follow me. And because of this, some early Christians thought that John wouldn't die. <laughs> I love that aside. But he says, Jesus didn't say that. He just said, if that's none of your business, mm-hmm. you follow me. And that's, you know, when you talk about relationships with with non-Christian friends, obviously you're going to love them with the depth of your being because that's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus looks at them. You are not going to lie to them mm-hmm. and say, I am 100% okay with this lifestyle that you've chosen for yourself, no matter what the lifestyle is. If it's not of God, it's not of God. So loving them doesn't necessarily mean lying to hurt their feelings. It means speaking the truth in love, living towards them in love, bearing witness to Christ 
you know, in your words and your actions. And then being authentic, because a lot of a lot of Christians by spouting off Christian ideas, but then living like they're really just left-handed kingdom people, you know, Mm. have done some damage, I think, to the reputation of Christianity. And I've been guilty of this too. I know I have. But I think the answer is whatever kingdom you're operating in, follow Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) If we haven't established that already. (laughs) Yeah. No, you, you you are all good friends. And I think anyone is lucky to have you as friends, including me. Okay, we got one more question to get through. We're digging in deep today. I have question number six. It's a long question. You're gonna have to paraphrase this. Sorry, it was it was just a a lot on my heart when I wrote that question. Uh, Okay, so question six. Uh, This is the chapter on Christology, especially sections god suffered and the problem of suffering which rachel you've been feeling i've been feeling it have we all been feeling that i mean Mm -hmm. hello to almost two years of pandemic life this year has just about wrecked me you guys yeah yeah yep in many ways the prosperity gospel that so dominates american religious life these days has conditioned us to believe that suffering is optional yikes something we can only avoid we can avoid entirely if we live well enough, pray hard enough, and believe sincerely enough. How does a Lutheran view of Christology help us counteract this misreading of Scripture and reframe the way in which we understand and experience our own earthly suffering? Uh, It is a loaded question. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Loaded gummy bears. Like a loaded baked potato. (laughs) Extra bacon bits. Double stuff. Acorn squash. That's there you go. That's my there you go. Okay. Yeah. You can't eat baked potatoes. But right. anyway, that's always okay. food. It's always about food. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like everybody, like everybody suffers. Even even the people on social media who look like they have it all together, mm-hmm. like even they're suffering. So I I find it really hard to understand how people can go through this life without the gospel. Like I just. It blows my mind. Like going through the last six weeks that I've had dealing with major health issues, dealing with the death of my father-in-law. I mean, going through, and that was, that was some intense suffering. Like I have physical symptoms right now because of the intense suffering that, that I went through, that my family went through, that my husband is going through. You know, it's, I don't know how people survive all of that without knowing Christ and without understanding that our Savior did suffer and understands our suffering and we can lament to him and be like, what is happening right now? Why is this so hard? Right. <laughs> and he will carry you through it. And we know that. And that may not happen until we die or he comes again. But having that promise of uh, you know, a new heaven and a new earth and having that promise of, I mean, in my particular case of seeing family members again, of seeing my father-in-law again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is a very powerful thing. And I don't, I don't know how people can, can suffer <laughs> quite honestly, without, without having that. I feel like this is from a Will Whedon thing, Pastor Whedon, that the the thing that sets Lutheranism apart from pretty much every other religion is that we have the balm for the the wounded soul like we have that that gospel that a lot of other all other maybe religions don't have that you know is the 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 comfort that we have in the gospel and the comfort we have in all of this christology all wrapped up mm-hmm. i mean that is that is a really powerful thing because we aren't going to get to the end of our lives without suffering i mean for some people like every single day is a day of suffering and the only way to get through it is to rely on Christ. Well, and I think part of how why the prosperity, and I don't know the history of the prosperity <laughs> gospel. I'm not going to act like a Bible scholar <laughs> in that regard, but I, I like, I think about people and how they cope with grief and maybe prosperity gospel is means of providing false, well, providing hope for people, false or not, mm-hmm. um, sort of help them get their minds off of, the pain and the suffering that were actually all promised in the Bible. Like, mm. why is anybody surprised? <laughs> why is anyone surprised that like we're all sick or we're people are dying in our lives or, you know, 
we're, we have dead end jobs or we're not, I don't know. Like, this is not supposed to be a cakewalk. It's not like Jesus came down and was like, you guys aren't going to have any problems. <laughs> so. JK, LOL. JK, LOL. <laughs> like, you are going to have problems. But I've, I have overcome those problems. So take heart, you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I think having a savior who comes down and walks among us who, as Isaiah says, is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, mm-hmm. changes the meaning of suffering that otherwise it tends to sort of, Christian or not, you fall into this karma idea that mm-hmm. if the world's working as it should, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. If a bad thing happened to you, you're probably a bad person or just unlucky or what you know and it just it it adds an extra burden to that suffering to say i did this to myself and yes that is true sometimes you do it to yourself um yep you touch the hot stove you're gonna get a third degree burn friend i've done that (laughs) you eat the giant slice of chocolate cake for lunch after your hike and you're gonna get a tummy no, don't do okay. <laughs> Some suffering can be explained by that, but in the life of the Christian, that's not the answer. Brie, you, you quoted Jesus. I'll quote the apostles in, in Acts that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Mm-hmm. You know, that they saw the Savior as someone who had undergone suffering for their sakes and that it is an honor and a privilege to participate in mm-hmm. that not that it's something we we're not like masochists we don't go out seeking for suffering to add more meaning to our lives you know we're right. not we're not those monks in the monty python movie you know thwapping <laughs> ourselves across the back <laughs> go on the ice, Rick, we go <laughs> but go we accept the suffering that god gives us knowing that he will walk with us through it that he has already he's mm-hmm. already taken the sting right out of it mm-hmm. um just and, go read any paul gerhardt hymn <laughs> yeah any paul gerhardt <laughs> he knew about suffering yeah but yeah the, the understanding the meaning of suffering starts with putting your eyes up on the cross and seeing god suffer willingly for you and then suddenly it just everything looks different mm-hmm doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt, but nope. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> we got ways and means, people. <laughs> Namely, word and sacrament. Yes. And mm-hmm. Go to church. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Receive the sacrament. <laughs> Lutheran ladies wow. and the musical. Wow. <laughs> oh. But you know what isn't suffering? Book club isn't suffering. Not at all. No. Reading isn't suffering, usually. <laughs> Depends what it's for. Fun it's fact, anytime my husband catches me crying over a book, he has this immediate visceral hatred for the author. <laughs> <laughs> it does not matter if I'm like, no, it's a good cry, God, it's just so beautiful. Be like, I don't care. I would like his email address and Twitter account so that I may hate him forever or oh her. God. That is so funny. Oh, you Ken. don't make Rachel cry, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That was a terrible segue, unlike Bree's brilliant, seamless segue from earlier. <laughs> that said, it's time for a new book, isn't it? It is. It's time to close the book on the spirituality of the cross. I have it right here so we can do it. We've closed it. Thanks. Love it. It's a paperback, Very so big. it doesn't make quite as satisfying a thump as the <laughs> strepitous at the end of the Good Friday service. So scepticus. Oh no, it's the Monday Thursday service. Sorry. My bad. No, it's Good Friday. Good Friday? It's Tenebrae. Okay, sure. Yeah. I I will. Right. All right. Yeah. The closing of the book. Anyway, uh-huh. we are going to <laughs> <laughs> We need to find a new book to read. Yes. And this will be, I'm excited. I have a couple of choices. We were talking before the episode and I asked fiction or nonfiction and y'all said 
nonfiction. Yes. I'm the nonfiction nerd. I love books that teach me something I didn't know before, but I like fiction too. I don't like learning. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to do some fiction this time. We are going, we are actually going to pick a classic. We haven't done a whole lot of classic books. In our book club so far, young adult is well represented because that's one of my favorite genres. But classics also a wonderful genre. But I wanted to mix it up a little bit. Charles and Dickens. <laughs> Charles Dickens. No, we're no. not reading Dickens. Okay, good. Ooh. <laughs> this time, <laughs> so you are going to have your choice between three beloved lady authors, authors right. of, of classic books. However. Because we can't do anything too obvious. These are not going to be the big ones, the ones that they're all known for. These are going to be lesser known minor gems. The Uh B-side. The the B-side of uh, beloved Lutheran, not Lutheran, sorry, none of them is Lutheran. What? What? Oh, did I say that out loud? (laughs) Okay. So we have three choices here. First choice is by. Everybody's favorite, my favorite, Jane Austen. Yes, I was hoping there'd be a Jane Austen. (laughs) Oh, you are so excited, girlfriend. (laughs) But we are not reading Pride and Prejudice. Good, I want to read a different one. We're not reading Sense and Sensibility, if we choose Jane Austen. Um, We're also not reading Northanger Abbey, because that's my least favorite of her. (laughs) I just don't like it. We are going to read a book that when I first read it, I did when I was a teenager going through my Jane Austen binge phase. I was like, eh, I don't know about this one. But the older I get, the more I love it. And every time I reread it now, I just am blown away with how awesome, wonderful, good it is. And that is, is it persuasion. Is it persuasion? It's persuasion. Yes! Oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> I knew it had to be. Okay, yeah, of course you did. And also, the major love interest is a naval officer. Oh! <laughs> So this is this is a classic novel about Anne Elliot, who has grieved for seven years over the loss of her first love, Captain Frederick Wentworth, the dashing naval officer. She was persuaded by people when she was young that he wasn't good enough for her. So she sent him away and she's regretted it ever since. And now, dun, 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 he's coming back in her life. What will happen <gasps> next? <gasps> I don't know. Okay, that's option number one, Jane Austen's Persuasion. Option number two is by the lovely Ms. Louisa May Alcott. Oh, yes. yes. That's yeah. what I'm thinking yeah. about. Let me think about mm-hmm. who I, when I think it'll be. This should be Stump Aaron. Okay, Aaron. Can you, it is not Little Women. Dang it. Uh-huh. No, it is not Little Men. It is not even Eight Cousins or its wonderful radiant sequel, Rose in Bloom. I do love Rose in Bloom. I I wanted to make sure each of these were standalone, not like books and books and series. So what do you think, Erin? At this point, then I got nothing. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It is an old fashioned girl, which is also the tagline for my life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fashioned girl. Okay. And mine on opposite day. (laughs) <laughs> the old-fashioned girl and the newfangled girl, yes. So That's in right. this novel, which was written fairly soon after Little Women became a success, she tells the story of 14-year-old Polly Milton, who travels to Boston for a stay with her friend Fanny Shaw. Now, Polly Milton is a country girl who's from a modest background, and Fanny is a city girl in a well-to-do family. And so this culture clash of these girls and also Fanny's brother, Tom, and their different values and how each of them sort of rubs off on the other. But I'll admit, one rubs off a little bit more than the other. Because this is the old-fashioned girl, not the prissy city girl, after all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a wonderful, charming story with a lot of heart and some old-fashioned values, honestly. As, of course, Louisa Malka understood them. And she was, a, she was kind of a progressive in some ways in her day. But... Yeah, wonderful. And she never she never wrote a sequel because she actually wrote the sequel in the first book. I think it was released serial. So it's all, an all-in-one standalone. You've got part one, part two, similar little women. So comes back when they're a few years later. Anyway, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. 
I'll probably reread it anyway, even if we don't pick it. Persuasion mm-hmm. 2, all of these, all of these are going to get read by me. All right, the last one, and this is the one that I have not read. Oh. So I'd be very excited to branch out into this. But, you know, if you love the author, you know that pretty much anything they write is going to be good. And this mm-hmm. would be by one L.M. Lucy Maud Montgomery. But we are I... not doing Anne of Green Gables. Of course not. Oh, that's okay. Sorry. Or any of its sequels. We are not doing Emily of New Moon or any of its sequels. Aaron, do you know any of those? We're stumping Aaron. Yeah, no, I I have read some of them. I have a harder time coming up with the names. They are not as memorable. (laughs) Well, there's only one Anne with an E. Yes. Oh, no, I love Emily far more than Anne. Uh, (laughs) You know, the true fans always say that. Um, (laughs) No, this one, the one that I'm suggesting for today... Again, many of her books were written in the series, so finding standalones is kind of tough. But this one is The Blue Castle, uh, set in a tiny town in Ontario. And unlike a lot of her books, which start with, you know, young girls and follow them up, this one starts with a 29-year-old spinster. And Ah. (laughs) and she basically just wakes up one day and says, I'm sick of this life living with my maiden aunts and being on my way to, you know, just uh, letting them badger me out of all existence and not having love in my life. And maybe I have more spunk than I thought I did. Anyway, it seemed the, the plot was intriguing. I read a little sample and so I can recommend it so far. So if we um, went in that well, direction. Like, uh, how Stella got her groove back. Yeah, but Balancy is her name. <laughs> What's her name? V-A-L-A-N-C-E. Oh, Valancy. Valancy. I don't I don't even know how you say that. I feel like she just made it up because she thought it sounded pretty, which is a very <laughs> Anne Cordelia Shirley thing to do. <laughs> okay, so those are our three choices for our next book club read. We have L.M. Montgomery's The Blue Castle. We have Louisa May Alcott's An Old Fashioned Girl. And we have Jane Austen's Persuasion. This is hard. How do we want to pick this? I I think I don't know. I'm leading toward Jane Austen anyway. Just I've because never I read love Jane Austen. Any of these authors or these books? I uh, have. Uh, I don't think I've ever read Little Women. And I'm I know, kidding. I've read Little Women. That's I true. don't think I've read Little Women, and I know I haven't read anything like Anne of Green Gablesy. Mm-mm. I used to watch the t- Canadian TV show that was based off of it, though. Oh, <laughs> Canadians love Anne them some Anne of Green Gables. I think yeah. that's what it was. <laughs> I think I'm 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 sticking with Jane Austen. Okay, Sarah votes Jane Austen. We need one more, or we need two people to agree, basically, here to make it happen. These are all beloved authors for me. So I have read Persuasion. I have not read the other two. So I would perhaps be more inclined towards the other two. However, Persuasion is it has a the best finish. So. Yeah, it's, it's like great, it's, it's a, a good time. It's mm, it is a th- Jane it's Austen a time is a more of a thoughtful time. Than yeah, necessarily a good time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think she's hilarious. But it's um, it's a it's a quieter sort of experience. <laughs> Maybe Basically, you have <laughs> All of these books are kind of flowery. It has has the best like it's got the the big finale is uh, so satisfying and you go back and reread just like the last 10 pages exactly you're just like oh but i mean little women is a delight i honestly like little men more and rose the again Hmm. i like the others more than the classic little women but i enjoy louisa and as i said i've i've read a number of the I did read all of the Anne books. I just like the Emily group more. Mm. So I'm a fan of of Lucy I, <laughs> Montgomery as well. <laughs> so I think I want to do the Louisa May Alcott one. Yeah. About, uh, oh man, two friends overcoming their differences mm-hmm. in the country's city mice. Somehow, you know what it, it made me think of when... When you were describing it, it brought to mind the year down yonder. Oh yeah, just with the idea of someone like only sort of flipped. In it's this reversed, case. yeah. Not the city girl going uh, down right. to visit Grandma Dowdle, but the country girl going to the big city uh-huh. to be a. Do they become friends? 
Where do they are they like <laughs> Oh yeah, they start out as friends. Tribals. But oh, then no. they realize that they're they have differences and need to learn to accept one another's different perspectives and values. I'll do that one. I'm gonna pick that one. Okay. So Sarah wants persuasion. Bree wants an old fashioned girl. Aaron, I think it's down to you. Huh. Rachel, you should go ask your kids. <laughs> Flip a coin. Flip a coin. Flip a coin. Uh, I already offered my my thoughts. So okay, I guess well, you I, said anything you said either of the other two besides persuasion. Exactly. So I guess it would be I guess I would go with the Louisa May Alcott one since since I said I've already read persuasion. I mean, I would, would you be pick the you others, wouldn't so. have been offended if you if we read persuasion? Not even a little. All right, let's like do I persuasion said, then. Solid. Oh we'll wow! An upset at the Game end. Bring changes what? her vote. <laughs> doing persuasion. Flip flop. I mean, that's fine. Jane Austen fan club. You know. Well, and you know, Bree, if you've never read Jane Austen, I feel like she is your cup of tea that you just never knew you needed until now. Because spoiler alert: she's not a romance novelist so much as she is a satirist. Yes. yes. Yeah. Her well, big MO is real. just making fun of people left and right. Yeah. And I laugh so hard anytime I read her books. It's sometimes it's a little subtle, but once you like pick up what she's talking about, you're like, that is a sick burn. And you probably <laughs> based that character on someone you knew in real life. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. I'll come up with a top 10 list of sick burns. Yes. Specifically yes. for this episode. Do it. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, that took a little bit of uh, doing, but good because they're all good choices. And like I said, I'm probably going to read all of these books, read or reread all of these books in the next few months, just because now that I've got a taste for them, that is something I want to do. But together, (laughs) we will be reading Jane Austen's Persuasion. We've been doing book club for uh, about two years now, and we've not yet done a Jane Austen book. So it's time. And this is a great one. To like do. This is an achievement of some kind. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't believe we we managed to hold off this long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, excellent. Persuasion, Jane Austen, available in any format you like. For, you could probably go to a garage sale down the street and pick up a copy of this one. I'm pretty sure that's how I got mine. And yeah. so accessibility should not be an issue. The audiobook is available. The Kindle yes. is available. The Kindle is free i think i'm sure you can the audio is, the audiobook is available on hoopla for those people who are who are the uh free audiobook from your library people yeah at least for me it is let me see who narrates <laughs> this one on audible you can continue <laughs> uh juliet stevenson i believe i don't know who she is i'm sure she's got uh-huh. a wonderful lively posh british voice Yes. All right. Persuasion by Jane Austen. I am super excited for this. You're just glowing. I love it. (laughs) I'm going to go read it like tomorrow. So for ladies who have not yet joined in the book club or need a little refresher, we will have an event in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Facebook group that you'll just have to re- or RSVP that you're going to this event and then you'll be in the book club event. This is asynchronous. <laughs> asynchronous, yes. Which means that Rachel will post the questions and you respond whenever you feel like responding. There are no videos. There are no like times that you have to be available because we're too busy for that. So you can do it. And even after the book club you know. ends, you can pull a Sarah and put in your answers. You know, mm-hmm. three days later, it's fine. Jump in. Really, jump them in because I totally did that. <laughs> it's I'm, fine. I might go back and answer the spirituality of the cross questions after we're done recording here. And Do you know it. what? All of our previous book clubs are available in the events oh, yeah. tab. Ladies' lunch. So if you are like binge listening to us a year later and find a book, and you're like, hey. I want to do this book club. You can totally go back and respond to the questions. It's it's all still there. And then even if you don't respond, you can read through and see what your wonderfully intelligent fellow Lutheran ladies thought about various aspects of the book. You can. We may need to clear out the cobwebs of what's going on up here. I'm pointing at my head. (laughs) Um, What what is this? What is this book we read? Yes. All right. So Jane Austen, Persuasion, you can literally find it anywhere. Join our group on Facebook to be involved in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Book Club. Remember that there will be an event before we do the next book club. And this one will be, I'm looking at our schedule now, we will not be having book club again until January. So you've got a nice long time. We decided not to put it on like Christmas Eve. 
so nice long time we'll see you in january i'll put probably put the event up the first week of january rsvp and then just come and read and answer and you know get something more out of the book than you might have otherwise yes and there's enough time that you can read all three of these books if you really wanted to so there you go join our group on facebook the lutheran ladies lounge you can also follow us on instagram at lutheran ladies lounge find all of our podcasts including our previous book club wrap-up episodes at kfuo.org slash lutheran ladies lounge or on your favorite podcasting app you're listening to the lutheran ladies lounge podcast i'm sarah i'm aaron i'm brie and i'm rachel and super happy oh my goodness i love persuasion Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Uh, sorry, you're going to have to, you'll, you'll fix it in editing. Great <laughs> <laughs> Video uh, editing sorcery. <laughs> so. <laughs>